0: Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hey, 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 welcome to We Watched a Thing. I'm Billy. Hello, Billy, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank. And what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Who remembers these things? You gotta introduce yourself at the head of the show, mate. Well, do I? Yeah, what about new listeners? Hello, new listeners. Thank you very much for joining us. My name's Topher, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. <gasps> that was very professional. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this week, we're doing a throwback, aren't we, buddy? Yeah. Now, throwback. A good one. <laughs> <laughs> Up yours. <laughs> throwbacks, as, uh, as regular listeners of the show know, is when one of us chooses a movie that we love and the other person's never seen. So it has to be something that we genuinely treasure. And what did you choose for us? Train Spotting. That's right, which I haven't seen. Because what? <laughs> well, it's been on my watch list. Uh, Train Spotting, 1996 British black comedy, directed by Danny Boyle and starring Ewan McGregor, Ewan Bremner, Johnny Lee Miller, Kevin McKidd, Robert Carlyle, and Kelly MacDonald. Based on the novel of the same name by Irvine Welsh and written by John Hodge. What's it about, Tove? The trials and tribulations of being a heroin addict in Edinburgh. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And so when did you first see this film? Did you see it in 96 when it came out? I would oh no, I know. certainly wouldn't have seen it in 96. You, you have- Mum and dad, no way was I watching Trainspotting <laughs> in 96. But, it, I mean, I would have seen it late 90s. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And what, what led you to it? Um, I w- word around the, the kids at school was that it was cool and that if I wanted to be cool, <laughs> I should watch it. Did you like it the first time you watched it? Yes. Do do you credit this movie at all with your love of film? Like, is it is it that early for you? Um, it's a good question. Um, not like no, I already I already loved movies. Yeah. Um, it would have been part of a period in my life of watching movies where you started to realize that you could do filmmakers could do more with a film than just plant the camera down and show things. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So one thing about tra- when this. For for my own experience, a thing I love about the film is that two seconds in the film, I'm just completely hooked. Yeah, this percussion comes in, Ewan McGregor's bombing down the street, you don't know why, and I was just like, I'm in. It's a great um, piece of storytelling, I think. This is one of those great examples of storytelling not through story, I think. Like, you really get a sense of the story through the characters, the music, the setting. Um, like Ewan McGregor is outstanding in this movie. And just from that first scene, you do get a sense of who he is, I think, and what his journey's been. And it's it, it also that ties into also just the and this goes throughout the entire film, really, just the the sort of kinetic energy that the film holds through the performances, the writing, the music, the camera movement. It all feeds into this incredibly like it's it's not a long movie. Yeah, it's a tight 90 minutes, which yeah. personally I love. And it's weird, given the subject matter, it's weird that the film carries as much energy as it does. Yeah. And that yep. it is as fun as it is. Yeah. Even though while there are scenes in the film oh, it's where, where you're some like harrowing shit yeah. in this movie. Yep. <laughs> like th- this is a hard watch for me. Like it was it was amazing how Like, this is one of those rare movies that is both kind of so horrific and really hard to watch and yet super engaging and fun at the same time, which is so rare. Most movies are one or the other. Yeah. But this this is a- Like, you would definitely call this movie a comedy- It's yeah, it's funny, and yet there are moments where you were like, "Oh, just turn the screen off. This is repulsive." Yeah, there are times, and there's one thing that everybody comes back to where it's hard to look at the screen. Yeah, and I mean that that scene in particular, which we'll get to. Obviously, that is horrific, but even that aside, there are just pockets of moments where you're like, "This lifestyle, this everything about what I'm watching is absolutely repulsive," and yet I'm enjoying this kind of dip into this lifestyle through watching this film. It's funny. There are. There were people who who bagged the film for saying that it glorified the lifestyle. Yeah, I and, saw, I, and was I was it, like, "Was it Bob Dole Sen- or someone?" Senator Bob Dole. And like the resp- my my natural response to that is, "Um, have you watched it?" Yeah. And as it turns out, the answer to that was no, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> th- this movie does not make me want to jump out and do some heroin. I, like I, I've watched Trainspotting many times, and not one of those times have I got here to a film and thought. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet it like, it kind of makes it look cool at the same time, even though it's totally making it clear that this is an awful lifestyle. And, and I was reading John Hodge, who wrote the screenplay. Who is The original book is a series of short stories. It's not a narrative. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a series of stories about these people. And I do believe that you get the same characters dipping in and out, but it's almost more episodic, like a TV series. And- when John Hodge and Danny Boyle went to Irvine Walsh and said, we want to make this a movie, I can't remember who it was who went to him before, but someone else had already tried to option it and they pitched it to him the oh, I, I see it kind of like basketball diaries and Irvine Walsh was just fuck off because <coughs> he didn't want it to be art house. And John Hodge said to him Is Basketball I haven't seen basketball diaries. Is it an art house film? Oh, I haven't seen it either, but I guess Irvine Walsh thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and John Hodge said to him, You know, I want the I want the movie to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I want it to be a tight ninety minutes, and I want it to be something that everybody will watch. And I I think they nailed that brief. Like, apparently, they spent weeks going through the book, picking out which chapters would work, which wouldn't, how they're going to turn it into a cohesive narrative, and I think the screenplay is incredible. It's no wonder that it got it got nominated for best screenplay, best adapted screenplay. I don't think it won. I don't know what else was up that year, but it's it's very well written. And one of the things he said was that. They didn't want to glorify it, but they, they wanted to show why people did drugs. Mm. Like, because to those people, at least the first time, it's fun. And so they wanted to get that across while not glorifying it. And I think they nailed that. It's funny that, I, and I I noted this on just when I watched it a week ago, and I noted just how little time screen time has passed when Renton decides to get off heroin. It's five minutes. Yeah, it's the f- it's well, I would have said. It was pretty much the opening scene, really. Yeah, it's five. Yeah, I was like with the the DVD in because I'm old. Yeah, I have, I have those things. <laughs> yeah, it's five. It's five minutes into the film, and yeah. yet you feel at that point you already feel so ingrained into that group of friends' lifestyle. Yeah, and you've only met them once. You you get that opening scene where they're all shooting up. You see Sick Boy. You see Spud, and that. That that really is your only introduction to these people. You learn nothing more about them, really, and yet you know them, which is probably reflective of their life. Like they have nothing else going on. Yeah, that's true. Like this is heroin is their life. Yeah, that's what that's what they do. Well, and-, and that that's even said in the dialogue. I think when uh, I can't remember what the exact line is, but he basically says, once you become addicted, it it is a job. It it's. It's something that you think about every day. When you're not on heroin, you have to think about all these other things. But when you're on heroin, all you think about is heroin. And then it's interesting, though, that when Renton decides to get off heroin, it's it's a specific drug that he's deciding to get off. Yeah. The first thing he does is go to score some more drugs to help get off this drug. Yes. (laughs) And leads us to- I I think, one of the greatest scenes in film history. The worst toilet in Scotland. The worst toilet in Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Do you remember me telling you, this is like 10 years, this is more than 10 years ago, me telling you the story of the worst toilet in England? (laughs) I I don't exactly recall, but feel free to tell the story. (laughs) It came. I'm not going to tell the full story. You're about to be not surprised why. Because it tags on to the end of another story from a trip to England, and it involved... Guy Forks night and food poisoning. <laughs> yep, yep. So, <laughs> at the end of this evening, where I had was coming, I was kind of at the back end of some food poisoning. Yeah, um, and people can fill in whatever blanks they want <laughs> as to how this day <laughs> went for me. There came a point where, after a long and arduous search for a toilet, any toilet, <laughs> I found at this train station in the town of Battle. I found this train station which had an open toilet and it was the it may still be the happiest moment of my (laughs) life. (laughs) Despite the fact that this toilet could well, like it would not have been a stretch if this toilet had worst toilet in England (laughs) written on the front, and yet I was like singing hallelujahs. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) I love that scene, even though it's clearly just fucking horrific. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know that was it was all chocolate. Mm. <laughs> it, it still looks repulsive. Oh, it's horrific. <laughs> it's it's a great piece of surrealism though when he jumps inside the toilet. You are totally not expecting that at all in any way. Yeah. Like he it's disgusting. He's like he's just reaching into this toilet looking for these drugs and then all of a sudden he he goes, he he literally like the way he does it is hilarious too. How he kind of first he gets his whole kind of torso in and then his legs start to follow and you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's swimming through this filth. And it's such a surreal moment that you don't see coming. <laughs> I do yeah, I remember the first time I watched it when that scene happened and it's like, Wait, what? <laughs> and it's so weird because it doesn't it doesn't really follow through the rest of the film like there's not a lot of surreal moments in the movie it's a very grounded film in reality but you have this other weird moment where like clearly renton did not climb into the toilet and swim around in water and yet the next time we see him he's dripping wet yes (laughs) Yeah. yeah the film to me is very very reminiscent and i wasn't surprised when i read that danny boyle made the entire cast watch this movie in preparation very reminiscent of a clockwork orange you can very clearly see where the inspiration comes, where it's this group of people who they're the protagonists for all intents and purposes, but they're not they're not heroes. But you're following their story. And, yeah, that, that scene in particular, when Renton's parents have him, you know, not tied down, but like locked in that bed in the basement and he's hallucinating and everything. Yeah. Very reminiscent of the um, the eyes open. Yes. Which is a great callback. In that scene and in many other scenes, I love a bunch of the in-camera effects in the yeah. movie. And it had to be in-camera effects because, well, firstly, it's the mid-90s. And secondly, the budget was, what, like one and a half million pounds or something? Yeah. And so you have, you know, the shots in, in that particular scene, I'm thinking of the, the room elongating. Yes. You have a time, you know, the, the the time lapse where he's at the bingo hall with his parents and he's just completely dead to the world as this stuff all happens around him. I love so much of the camera work in this film. Some of it some of it tips over into style over substance, I think. Mm-hmm. In a really in a really nineties way. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it I think is brilliant and serves the story yeah. really well. No, I agree. I was gonna bring up the camera work too, because for a lot of the movie you sit there and you, you don't notice the camera work until you try to and think about, wow, this is actually a really well constructed shot. One that, like, is it would be easy, the kind of thing that, yeah, is easy to miss but is really well done is when when they're at the pub and Begbie's telling his story that's barely a story. <laughs> yeah, that was Begbie's story. That was it. <laughs> that was Begbie's story. <laughs> um, that shot, uh, this this shot of them in a bar becomes an MCU on Begbie, which becomes a group shot. And, and it, it's a kind of one of those almost Spielberg one-its where it doesn't feel like an elaborate one-shot and yet it's served- several shots yeah. in this one take. Yeah. And also I suppose if you're shooting on a really tight budget that's brilliant because you're like great I just got 30 seconds worth of film yeah. from calling action once. No I did I did read that almost the entire movie they only had one take. Really? For every yeah yeah which I think actually really does uh, like it def- it fits the kind of grittiness of the story as well. Mm. But yeah apparently due to budget nearly every scene was like no we've got one take. And and it led to some really interesting practical effects as well. Like, you know, that opening scene where Renton does heroin and, and you know, the camera follows him as he falls back to the floor. Yep. They had special platforms and stuff built so that he could actually do that. And so the camera could, you know, follow him. Like, just really interesting way of doing things. Yeah. And then the editing as well. Like, you think of scenes like when Spud is tanking the job interview. That's such and, a great scene. That's probably my favourite scene in the film. And it just cu- and it just it doesn't go too over the top in just making this thing a total blur. It just cuts in these ways, like just reframing shots, even yeah. that it doesn't totally disorient you. But it's just like, wait, what's going on? Of course, he's on speed at the time. Yes. So it's this great reflection of his headspace. Yeah. While he's trying to not get this job yeah and i love that you can barely understand a word he's saying in that scene as well like so the book was actually written in scots which is very similar to english but it's it's not english like you you can read it and understand the letters but there's a lot of very different words you know things like for example your is actually spelled y-e-r in scots which you think might just be scottish slang but that is the language of scots But when, you know, the movie, because obviously they're targeting an international audience, for the most part, they speak very traditional English. But I love that that scene, you cannot understand a word Spud is saying. And then you've got the um, the shot in, there's a nightclub scene where Spud's talking to Tommy in the nightclub. I love the fact that they subtitle that and just have (laughs) the music blaring. It's a good bit of filmmaking, I think. It kind of reminds me of... And I thought it was great as well in in social network, yeah, where there's that conversation in the nightclub and you can barely hear them. Yeah. And people apparently people were saying to Fincher, like, I can barely hear him. It's like, <laughs> I know. That's the point. They're in a nightclub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love so much of the dialogue. Like, you know, when even when when Gail is explaining to Spud that, okay, we're gonna do it tonight and this is what I expect from you. Yeah. Just stuff like you know, failure to meet to to meet these very reasonable expectations <laughs> there'll be a swift resumption of our no sex situation. Yeah, <laughs> it's like people don't talk like that. But, no, but it's so great when, like, when that's the tone you've set and that's how everyone talks. It's fine. Yes, provided yep. you know that's like the universe you're living in. Yeah. And it's very similar to Tarantino dialogue as well in that given how short the film is, so much of the dialogue you could look at and it seems irrelevant to the story. Yes. Like there's a lot of just people talking, which for, for a movie that's so short, a part of you could go, why? But but that's exactly the point. That's why. Because that is the storytelling is the sense of these people and the way that they talk and communicate. Can you see the beast? <laughs> <laughs> I, the soundtrack for this film was great oh, too. Was very very good. One of the greats. Yeah. All all the use of punk and of 80s pop and stuff it just it works so well for the setting. And maybe like I mean honestly if it's not my favorite it's on the podium of use of song in film. Lou Reed's Perfect Day in the Overdose. Yeah. Is just if if someone said to me how how well can popular music be used in film? that is honestly what I would point to. No, I get that. Yeah, apparently one of the other things John Hodges said when he was pitching it was that he he saw it as, like, the Scottish version of Pulp Fiction. Mm. And you you can see that even just in the soundtrack alone. Like, Tarantino is another one who uses popular music very well. And you can see that inspiration there in the soundtrack. Yeah, Born Slippy at the end of the film. Again, it's just like, like, okay, yeah, you actually couldn't have picked a better song. That is so brilliant. And some of the, again, again with the editing, there's scenes in this film that, are uh, honestly like fifteen seconds long. Yeah, it yeah. moves uh, for for a lot of the film. It moves at such a pace, like the uh, and like again with that conversation in the bar where where Spud and Tommy are talking, but also their respective girlfriends are talking in yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah, and they're both kind of talking about the same thing, and the way it cuts together and then comes together. With them face-to-face, what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Fitball. But it's like given how short the film is and how fast some of the scenes are, it is amazing what a sense of character and development you get. Like Tommy, for example, who you really- you have like two scenes of him clean. And, you know, you get that story about him and his girlfriend. And yet when he decides he's going to try heroin and then subsequently becomes an addict and later dies- even though that is all so condensed, it flows so nicely and you see that progression in the character. It's, yeah, it's it's weird how just how bad you feel for Tommy, for a guy oh. who, whose screen time up to that point is minimal. Yes. And it, it's just such that extra layer, too, that you know that it's Renton's fault. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the entire reason that Tommy has gone down this path is because of that videotape. And Renton knows this and still won't say to him, I took it. Yep. <laughs> Like, that is repulsive. (laughs) So let's talk about acting, because I think Ewan McGregor is outstanding in this film. He is perfect, as is the entire supporting cast. Even characters that have such little screen time, like Sick Boy. Sick Boy is barely really a part of this movie, and yet he has really permeated pop culture, because... He's done so bloody well. Like, that scene, that horrific scene that we kind of touched on earlier where you see the dead baby and you realize that Sick Boy is the dad. And they don't even – they don't tell you that. Like, from memory, they don't actually say he's the dad. I think Renton says, it wasn't my kid. I don't know whose it was. Maybe Spuds. Maybe Sick Boy. Maybe she knows. Maybe she doesn't. There is – in the voice over there, Renton does then say – well, now we know who the dad was. Right, yeah. But even before he says that, you can tell just from Exactly the acting in that moment. It is so well done. And I didn't I'm assuming that you knew that this was a stage play before the film. And Spud was actually Bremer played Renton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is that's amazing to me because he he is so good in that role of Spud that I actually I just kind of assumed that that was the kind of person oh I know any- he is it's it's like when you see Kramer and you're like okay well clearly Michael Richards is actually Kramer and he's not acting that's that's what I assumed that I know anytime <laughs> I've seen him in any film since yeah he's from, I, I can't help it. I'm like, oh, there's Spud. Yeah. But he must be a phenomenal actor to be able to portray those completely two different personalities. Mm. To be able to play Spud and Renton, who are complete, in a lot of ways, polar opposites. He must be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and no one knew. Apparently, and they got to the end of production before anybody knew that Johnny Lee Miller wasn't Scottish because he kept the accent. Yeah. All, for the whole time. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, other performances, like, I love that Robert Carlyle doesn't try to make Begbie one tiny bit sympathetic. Just like, yep, I'm playing a complete knob and I'm going to love it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. um, the first acting, I think first acting job full stop for Kelly MacDonald. It was, yeah. They actually, part of it was, from what I read, they wanted someone completely unknown so that people wouldn't be taken out of the fact that a 19-year-old was playing A schoolgirl, yeah. So, they didn't want someone that everyone knew was, oh, here's this actress. She's not really a schoolgirl. So, they looked very hard for someone who had never done anything. She's so good. Actually, and she got to the end, I believe, I don't think I'm making this up. I think she got to the end of shooting No Country for Old Men before anyone, before some people on set knew that she wasn't American. Oh, really? Because she likewise just kept the accent between takes (laughs) and then broke out in Scottish and people were like, What? (laughs) Yeah, she's really great, and she's another one who has such little screen time, and yet, like, is is quite a large part of the film. You want to know uh, another fun fact? Always. So Johnny Lee Miller, several well, his character several times in the film, he does. He's either talking about James Bond or occasionally doing a Connery. Yeah, he is the grandson of the original M from the Bond films. No shit. There you go. That is a fun fact. (laughs) I wonder if they knew that when they cast him or wrote that part. I bet they didn't, because half his lines are talking about James Bond. Yeah, so that would be a serious rewrite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was particularly when he's when he's high. Like every time he does drugs, James Bond comes out. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> another one of my favorite lines when Mother Superior says knows a lot about James Bond films, and Rent's like, "It's hardly a substitution." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, let's, let's talk about the kind of the, the final narrative then, as it were, because, I, I like, in hindsight, knowing that the book was a collection of short stories, I can really see that because the majority of the film is, is Renton swinging between quitting and using and quitting and using, and then it really isn't until the last kind of 25 minutes or so of the film that the plot of, you know, the, the drug deal comes up. Yeah. Which in some movies that would be the entire plot, but here it's kind of your final third or less. The first time you saw this and, and that is where it went, were you, are you satisfied with the ending of the film, I guess is what I'm asking. I'm I am certainly satisfied with Renton's ending. Right. Yep. It's my least favourite bit of the film.
1: Okay. It's, is, is, that is that the, final
0: third. Is the drug deal. Yeah. yeah. But I think the way that Renton finishes up the film is perfect. I think it is. And I I haven't seen T two. I know that you have. I don't think there's any ambiguity in it. I feel confident at by the end of the film that he is going to stay clean. Again, I haven't seen T two and now I actually really want to. But I I feel so confident by the end that he yep, he's done it. He's clean. Do you get that sense as well? Or are you left a bit kind of, oh, how's it gonna go? I uh, yeah, I've always thought this could go either way. Really? Yep. Yeah, cool. And I, I love that moment when when Spud opens the the safe deposit box and there's there's his cash left for him, even though Renton is kind he's, he's a dickhead too. But even then, he cares enough about Spud that he wants to give him his share. How yeah. could you not? Spud's poor little face. Yeah. <laughs> McGregor also does maybe my favourite rant in film history. The ending uh, that I choose life. No, 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 no. When they're when they're up in the Highlands and he's just oh. ranting on on the Scots. Yeah. Oh, it's the Best. <laughs> that that is that is a great scene. <laughs> yeah. My entire family is half Irish, half Scottish. And my great auntie, she grew up in Edinburgh, and just from stories that she tells, I watch this film and I and I get that sense of this is Edinburgh. I just feel like it captures so much of the city so well. And it's the nice city. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what was Glasgow like? <laughs> All right, so all in all obviously this is one of your favorite films of all time which is why we're doing it. Yep. What's- it is like if someone if someone came to me and said like let's say someone who is now like 19 years old yeah didn't live through the 90s at all yep. and was like if I wanted to what like what what's a 90s movie this is what I would point them to cuz for me for me this it just personally this is like the most 90s movie. I can, I, yeah, I can definitely see that. I think, especially in terms of, like you were saying before, the way that the cinematography to you sometimes, like, you get that 90s sense. I know what you mean. Even if I think there are other films that maybe in their subculture capture the 90s more perfectly. I This film, yeah, it's, it's a 90s film. I know exactly what you mean. Nothing more 90s than heroin. But also, how fucking scary is it that kids who are were 19 weren't born in the 90s? That's messed up. <laughs> and now I feel old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, obviously, I do love this film. It's got, I've, I've got a couple of minor quibbles with it. Like, I love the style of the film. Every once in a while, that tips over for me. It's like, okay, in this particular instance, I think you're trying a tad too hard, but I'm a nine out of 10. Wow, right. I, I do find it a hard watch. There were times where I was like, oh, why am I sitting through this? And yet, for the other 90% of the film, I'm like, this is such an enjoyable watch. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I'm an 8 out right. of 10. I, I think it's Danny Boyle's best film. And I don't think that there's a question there. Oh, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's. To- I don't think he's touched. ever come close to topping this. I say that as a Danny Boyle fan. There's plenty of other Danny Boyle that I like. Yeah, he's done good work, but, but I, I think this is on his. The, on the day that Danny Boyle dies, when it says director of, I think if it's me writing the article, it's director of trainspotting. It'll probably say Slumdog Millionaire. Ugh. <laughs> 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 like, let's be real. That's what that's what it's going to say. <laughs> nah, people are. Be- no, people aren't better than that. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Good chat, Billy. So, all in all, yeah, definite recommend from both of us. What are we getting to next, Tove? Next, well, the next thing we're going to see and talk about is that Barry Jenkins' latest film has finally made it to this pocket of the world. Yeah, so we've been waiting for that for so months. So we get to watch if Bill Street could talk. <laughs> yes, which I'm I'm excited for. I still haven't seen Moonlight, as you know, and I will get to it, sure. But I, I won't get to it before. This. I mean, you like telling people how much you're into indie films, except you just don't like watching them. <laughs> That is an absolute untrue. Okay. I would say that at least 60% of the films I watch are indie films. That I don't know if you believe what you're saying. I, no, I think the ones I re-watch are. Mm-hmm. I think, obviously, for the show, a lot of the ones we watch in, you know, are, are your bigger blockbusters. But I, the, if I sit down and choose to watch a movie, I'm generally chucking on an indie. You know Jurassic Park wasn't an indie, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but, but But, yes- we're also going to have a bit of a pre-Oscars chat. That's right. On Monday, we'll have a special episode out, as we did last year, with our Oscar predictions. Slash hopes. All right. But in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchetathing.com or wewatch thing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchetathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash thing. And in the meantime, watch people do, Toph. No, no. I'm... I'm, I'm done with you queuing me. I'm just, I'm just, I'm reclaiming it, Billy. Oh, okay. It's yours again? Yes, okay. it's mine. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and that's bye from me. Go watch a movie, everyone. <laughs> Catches. <us. laughs>